You are listening to the Happier at Work podcast, and I'm your host, Aoife O'Brien. This is the podcast for HR and business leaders. We talk about things like leadership, well-being at work, diversity and inclusion, and the future of work. Welcome to episode 40 of the Happier at Work podcast. Uh, My name is Eve O'Brien and I am your host. Today's guest is Chris Pinner. Chris is the founder of the employee wellbeing company called Innerfit. Chris has a background in banking and management consultancy and oftentimes, as you can imagine, he was required to work weekends, 12-hour days and on occasion 36-hour shifts as well. Chris has had quite a few achievements since founding Innerfit five years ago. He led a global webinar series for a worldwide broadcaster. He has delivered executive level coaching programs as well as 500 one-to-one sessions. Chris, similar to myself, is a very practical guy and likes to give people very clear action items that they can implement immediately. So I think you're really going to enjoy the conversation that I'm having with Chris today. We talk about things like leadership buy-in, statistics and stories, and taking personal responsibility. Welcome, Chris, to the Happier at Work podcast. Would you like to introduce yourself to listeners? Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me on. Uh, I'll do this really quickly because the more interesting bit is talking about what people will find interesting. Uh, But yeah, I'm Chris. I founded Innofit about four years ago now. And prior to that, I'd actually worked in an investment bank, strategy consulting for a couple of years, and then sports marketing. So... The basic belief number one of Innerfit is that if you feel well, you work well. Um, I realized that I didn't feel well when strategy consulting, I was working way too long hours, etc. And I didn't always work very well. Um, but then contrast that with the past six years, I suppose, Innerfit plus sports marketing, finished work at a decent time uh, in sports marketing. If you've grown your own business, you probably know that you don't always finish on time. Um, <laughs> but yeah, belief number one Innerfit is if you feel well, you work well. Um, belief number two is that most employee wellbeing session services today don't actually drive the change that they could um, and we can talk about that in a little bit but I'll stop there. Yeah brilliant I mean it totally in line with what I'm trying to do as well with happier at work you know it's about promoting if you're happier at work then you're more productive and you have better mental well-being you're taking what you do in work and you know it filters into every aspect of your life so you may as well be happier at work. Exactly exactly couldn't have said yeah. it better. <laughs> so we are going to talk about well-being at work and, and wellness at work. So do you want to talk about, I know, Chris, that you put out a poll on LinkedIn uh, a number of weeks ago. Do you want to kind of talk me through that and what, what kind of results you got? Yeah, yeah, 100%. So in, in, in 60 seconds, we'll try that. The reason for the poll um, comes from basically the idea that obviously Innofit is an employee well-being service provider by classes, talks, etc. We wanted to tune into like what our actual clients needs are right now because obviously a lot has changed so we thought what a better way to do that than to actually ask them um so we, we threw out a question on, on linkedin we sent a few messages to uh our newsletter audience and basically found that um we had kind of six ideas of topics that could be a challenge um, and big ones that came out was getting leadership buy-in um boosting engagement doing the well-being basics right um, and a few others, uh, but motivation and energy was probably the, the other big topic. So in a nutshell, um, those are the, a few of the key things that came out. I said I'd just chat for 60 seconds, but should I keep going? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's great. It'd be, it'd be interesting to kind of look into those in more detail because I'm sure that they are very common issues that people have, and not just within your network, but, but generally speaking. So 
And how about if we talk about the leadership buy-in first? So a big struggle would be whether it's HR people or people in management who know that something needs to change, but they're not necessarily getting that buy-in from the senior leaders. Is that, is that the kind of one of the, the biggest issues? Mm, really good point. So it's worth probably pointing out what we mean by leadership. Yeah. Um, anyone can be a leader. Like if you are proactive and create something and play a role in that, which otherwise wouldn't have happened, you're a leader. Um, so it, this idea that actually it needs to be from the top down is 100% true. It also needs to be bottom up, middle up, middle down, whatever direction you want to go. So I think leadership buy-in is part of a bigger picture of creating a culture of well-being. It's also more typically uh, the challenge with senior leadership um, and line managers being able to implement and have the confidence in the well-being strategy or the well-being sessions that are in place. So I think there's, there's a recent study by PwC um, that found 90% of people in the UK, about 65% of people globally, uh, CEOs globally, globally are conducting well-being initiatives right now, uh, which is obviously amazing and that, that shows there is appetite and interest. Um, but the, the reality is a lot of the time, as, as shown by the poll and countless conversations I've had, and I'd imagine you've probably had, this, had similar, is that you can talk the talk, but don't necessarily always walk, walk the walk. Yeah. Um, and I think that's the gap right there. There's often a mismatch between what leadership say and what they actually do. And that yeah. has to do with role modeling as much as investing. So if you're yeah. the, the type of leader that says you really care about well-being, but actually in practice books, calls over someone's favorite time to go to the gym or um, has people working at 8 p.m. sending emails, et cetera. It, it's about what you role model as much as what you decide to invest Absolutely, in. Yeah, Absolutely, yeah. What comes to mind when I talk through that? What, what are yeah, you thinking? No, totally, totally agree with what you say there. And um, something that you said about about leadership and and that whole buy-in piece, um, it it to me it ties in with that getting the basics right first as well. So, you know, trying to put a plaster. I always say that you know, trying to put a plaster on something that's a, clearly a gaping wound. Um, is really not the correct way to approach it. And in my own experience, oftentimes wellness initiatives have been very much a tick box exercise. So we should, quote unquote, do a wellness program or we should have a wellness program or it ha you know, we'll do like a wellness week or a wellness month or something like that. And the reality I found at the time was people were too stressed and they were too busy often to attend the seminars that were happening or they all happened in one week, so you could kind of only pick one to go along to and things like that's my own experience of of um wellness at work and the kind of initiatives that that we had in in the workplaces where I worked in the past um I would like to understand a bit more about the if we talk first about the getting the basics right and and understanding the the underlying issues i suppose and then talk about getting you know the leadership and how to how to really get that buy in yeah, yeah, big time. I'll talk about a literal example from, from this afternoon then. Um, law firm, really positive. People we're talking to really, really get it. And lots of people did attend the sessions, really, really got it. Um, were there any partners or, or senior leaders on those calls? Very few. Um, and that's where 15% of the business is, is comprised partner or senior leader level. So I think um, there, that mismatch that we spoke about before is definitely there. And, and it's not through want of trying. I think it's because there's just more time needed. Your, your point about um, previously it being a tick box exercise and now people getting it. I, I think we're 
generally in the middle and in this specific example probably a little bit before the middle there's people who are obviously backing the agenda and, and driving this um, who get it who they're here but at the other end of the spectrum i.e the people that are trying to bring with them is, is the leadership generally um, and it, it's a struggle because if you are driving it and you're not a senior leader and you don't have those two or three people on the, the management committee or whatever it is like who are the ambassadors and who encourage people to attend um, you are trying to push water uphill type of thing. So I think your point about getting the well-being basics right is, is an interesting one because almost that's where you need to start. Yeah. Whether we're thinking about getting leadership buy-in or we're thinking about helping people feel well and working well and being happy at work. Yeah. Um, you need to start with the foundations before you can build. So when, when we did a series of sessions with them or whether it's been a, a company based in Sydney, sessions that have been popular through lockdown were how to move well and eat well and sleep well um, and it's how to put yourself first and, and it's, it's doing things like that rather than getting carried away with with leading a team in a motivating and energizing way because you, you need to put your own oxygen mask on first that's, that's yeah. always the analogy we come back to absolutely um, so. yeah yeah that's a great analogy i love that um maybe mm. taking a step backwards first of all chris um before kind of jumping into what the solutions are, but what do you see as the benefits of having a wellness program or promoting wellness at work? Mm, great question. It's obviously something I massively believe in, and as do you, because you don't start a company or a podcast. Don't. Um, so interestingly, my answer really hinges on how I'd frame this for a senior leader. Um, I think at, at one level, you've got statistics, and another you've got stories um, so statistics wise you can look at anecdotally out there in the world is the stuff like 90% of CEOs are investing right now so there's obviously some belief um, it's statistics like from the CIPD around um, the number of people who don't feel engaged at work um, I think over 30% of people through lockdown had said that their physical and mental well-being had actually declined um, so it is knowing that statistics are out there that relate to everyone on average but then it's also statistics that relate to your organization so um for the employee well-being forum which you're very kindly going to be a, a guest on soon um we we spoke in previous sessions about pulse surveys and listening to what staff need and understanding like what their challenges are and struggles are so i think if you get data and statistics that relate to your own people yeah you can't argue with that so the statistics yeah. side it's really important to build a business case but then also the uh, stories um, and there's stories again anecdotally you can look out there for leaders who've who've led from the front and shared stories about their wife having depression and child having autism or whatever that might be and it's, it's how they turn up to work and deal with that um, and be human first um, and again stories in your own workforce who, who who's having struggles right now what what can they do and, and it, to come full circle to to try and answer that question like about why do I believe in the value of well-being and, and maybe why should others is that if you if you do go through look at the statistics you do go through and, and find the stories like logically emotionally it's just a no-brainer and I think people that have done that it's not a question mm. I think um, but it's for people that ask the question like we do we have to, we're responsible for inspiring and, and shifting the perspective of people who don't quite get it yeah 
which is a which is a different question altogether but <laughs> something we've obviously that, put that's it it's it's finding a way to speak their language if they if they're not getting it yet i loved what you said about statistic versus stories i'm very much a statistics person i my background is in analytics um However, what I will say, my speciality is turning statistics into stories. So you've given me a bit of inspiration there about what I can do in my business about turning, you know, translating the data and the insights that you get into meaningful um, stories that people can understand and relate to. And I loved what you said about human first, because really that's, that's what it is at the end of the day. And I think the key to this is people who are well at work, they are more productive um, you know, they're, they're happier and it has been shown to increase the bottom line. So it's not just a case of, oh, let's all be happy at work. It's, it is a good business decision. And mm. that's, I suppose, fundamentally, that's what it, it should be about. Exactly. Yeah. And it's not necessarily easy to always prove that specific to a company, but if I, if I take like Discovery Channel is our, our biggest client and the one that we actually did do a, a, a proof, a return on investment kind of statistics summary of. And so we had a long story short, um, we, for a cohort of people in, in London, um, we've had, had conversations with Miami and deliver sessions, et cetera, in Ireland and globally. But, but this one cohort, we actually found that um, in that group, there was an 80% increase in how uh, they rated their health and well-being overall. We found that there was a 32% increase in people feeling energized at work. Mm. Um, and we also found a 15, 1, 5% increase in people saying that I feel I consistently work at my best. So you look at those statistics specific to that program. If you're able to consistently turn up uh, and work at your best 15% more often, like mm. you do that every day, that's yeah. an absolute game changer. And if yeah, you yeah. really want to get sophisticated and, and track the impact on KPIs and end of year performance, etc. That's when it gets interesting, and companies do do that, but they're obviously the advanced ones who get it. And because you get it, you measure it. It shows that it works. You invest more in it, and it becomes yeah. a kind of self fulfilling thing. I think it's interesting. Companies that do value it and 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 do invest more in it and get it right, they're just going to accelerate. And then the ones that think well being is nice to have and plug and play will do the job. They're going to get <laughs> left behind. I think I think lockdown and the remote working situation has probably accelerated that. But I'd be, in, I'd be interested to know what you think about Yeah, absolutely. No, I, I totally agree with that. The way a lot of companies have handled the situation kind of shows their true colours. So on the one hand, you have people who are fearful of their jobs. On the other hand, you have people who have lost their jobs because of this crisis. But then the other people who still have jobs and they can see clearly the way that the management have handled the entire situation. And if they haven't handled it well, it begs the question, like, why am I actually working here? So some of the things that, that um, you brought up there, Chris, has sparked some ideas in my head around why would anyone want to work for a company where they don't promote the wellness of the individuals working there to help them to perform at their best? And, you know, it's, it should form part of, the attraction, the, the attraction program or, or ways to attract talent to an organization in addition to ways to retain talent. So I'm sure based on the programs that you're talking about, if people looked at the retention mm. numbers, you know, it's these kind of things don't happen overnight. So you want to kind of look at long kind of long-term data here, but I'm sure that you can see correlations between wellness programs and employee retention 
increasing. Yeah, big time. And this is why it's interesting, I suppose, to take, take a step back, to go back to the old strategy consulting background and economics at uni type thing. Yeah, yeah. That's interesting because actually like your, your brain, and obviously I can tell you with your analytical background as well, like your brain thinks in a certain way. Yeah. So um, we're, we're thinking about the, the, why does that matter for people listening and, and clients and businesses who care about this? It matters because you're then able to frame where the value is. So for me in the early days, I thought about it as, as four kind of pillars of, of value to get from well-being as a business. One is uh, talent. Two is togetherness. Three is how tuned in everyone is. And then four is like performing well. So the state of play in a lot of companies at the moment is that they're not attracting and retaining the best talent. The team feel disconnected from one another. No one's really uh, fully at work. Absenteeism and presenteeism statistics are, are crazy high. Presenteeism, by, by the way, way more impactful than absenteeism. So sickness rates, just because they're the most easy to measure, is, doesn't mean they're the end of the story. And then fourth, if you've got those foundations in place, like how can you perform to the best of your ability and how can you get a team to perform incredibly well? Um, and I think the talent one, which, which you started on, is a really big one. And um, it, it's come up recently in a lot of conversations. We're going to actually work with um, a recruitment company because it comes up in a lot of conversations they having now. Um, and I think there's statistics as well. So use the analytical part of the brain. Um, came across a glass door study recently, which said I think 71% of employees would look elsewhere if a company's culture deteriorates. Um, and then going back to an employee benefits survey 2019, I think 52% of people said that they would, they would leave, they, they would rather choose a company that cared about wellbeing over one that paid 10% more. And that those numbers are just going to increase, I think. Um, so your point on talent is spot on. I think it's a big, big, big part um, of, of where wellbeing can add value to a business or potentially cost a business if they're not doing it. Yeah. Um, what, As I what understand, you the younger generations kind of demand this type of stuff. You know, they know mm. what it is that they want. They, they want to work for companies that value sustainability and wellness and you know, those kinds of things that previously would have been seen as quite alternative and a little bit out there. Uh, but now, you know, they're kind of showing us the way nearly of saying this is this is how things should be done and we should be supporting local and we should be um, building sustainable communities and we should be treating people <laughs> like humans at work and we should be promoting people's wellness. Exactly. Yeah. 110%. 110%. Um... I, I wouldn't really have much to add. I think you just summarized it perfectly. <laughs> then I suppose the question is like, how and what can you do about it? Exactly, yeah. So that kind of brings us back to this whole, the getting the basics right. So maybe we talk about what the basics are and then um, kind of go on to talk about getting leadership by and then and how do we actually do that? I suppose if, if, someone, if, if, if I was listening to this now, I would probably want to think about what does wellbeing mean to me? Yeah. Because... Um, Wellbeing can mean very different things to different people. So in effect, we cover movement, nutrition, mindset, and mental health, but actually financial wellbeing and spiritual wellbeing and relationships. And so I suppose getting the basics right really depends on what the basics are for an individual. Mm. Um, but when, once you've got that in place, and we just think with my in effect hat on at the moment, for movement, it's about getting enough steps in the day are you active the statistics around how many of us aren't actually getting enough movement in the day and that matters because movement's linked to our mental well-being mm. um, i know a lot of people that if they're exercising will be more likely to eat well yeah um, so moving on to nutrition getting the basics there right what does that look like it means 
maybe having the fridge filled with uh, veg and fruit or whatever. I don't, I don't actually know what you're supposed to put in the fridge anymore. I saw some program on ITV that said uh, you shouldn't put things in the fridge that I thought you had to. But oh, no. uh, that's <laughs> besides the point. Um, so nutrition, it's about just managing, managing blood sugar levels. So that blood, blood sugar roller coaster and making sure that we're having a solid breakfast. All the, all the boring stuff that, that people have heard a million times, like yeah. it matters. <laughs> Um, yeah, and then it matters, year. but but also I think um, it kind of went out the window with lockdown. I think so. I know certainly me, and I, I'm sure other people can relate to this as well. You know, it was all the stodgy stuff and the kind of stocking up. What what do I need to buy? What do I need to bring into the house to, you know, it's the kind of comfort food I was bringing in, which I wouldn't normally have in the house. And then mm. of course the baking, and we all know. I mean, I've seen so many. You know, given my background in FMCG, I've seen so many. Um, analyses that have shown the spike in things like flour and anecdotally like there's no flour left on the shelves and, and things like that yeah. so there's a huge you know and the pictures on Instagram and Facebook of yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> that people were doing so yeah. um yeah I mean I'm I was doing that as well so those kinds of things and if you're eating that kind of food then that's gonna mess with that I think people I mean for me I saw a lot of people out during lockdown maybe that's just because they were all going at the same time in the same place um but people were taking their daily walks they were going out for cycles and things like that as well so um i think that the kind of nutrition and food element was probably a little bit trickier yeah yeah definitely and alcohol in there as well i think there's oh yeah you, yeah i suppose like 50 percent up so um <laughs> and that matters because it, it impacts your mindset to come to movement nutrition mindset absolutely like, it's it's all so linked but in terms of specific mindset stuff it was about creating boundaries um at the end of the day like closing your laptop and saying right shut down complete type thing yeah um it's about having that 10 minutes reflection or mindfulness at the end of the day asking yourself okay what happened today so what does that mean for me now what will i do about it like it's all sorts of ideas come up and i'd imagine everyone's got their own version of that but the basics i suppose is at the most fundamental level, are you making space for your own health and well-being? And like, I, I'd be the first to like, so with your baking and, and food stuff, I, I had a couple of weeks where I probably drank a bit too much and, and wasn't eating brilliantly. But I suppose it's about making the choice then to nip it in the bud mm. and try and create habits rather than, than let it slide. And that's, and that's relevant for the last three months, six months. It's, it's relevant in life, right? So I think, um, I think that was interesting in terms of, that's what I think when I think about the basics yeah um but i'm mean, interested yeah what came to mind when i was asking what basics are for you um I'll, I'll talk about that in a minute but but really um but what one of the things i want to kind of pick up on there and, and explore in a little bit more detail something that i say that i would like to do but but maybe don't do enough of it of course tell everyone else to do it because i think it's a huge benefit is this idea of reflecting at the end of the day so maybe spending 10 minutes and saying what went well what do I need to improve? What am I going to do differently tomorrow? Um, mm. And even if I say it in my head, I know what went well, but it's the same things maybe that keep happening again and again. But I find if you write that down, if you actually use it as a reflection and journaling opportunity and really think about what you're going to do differently the next day, that ties in with what you're saying with nipping it in the bud with this idea of you notice that you're sliding a bit okay so you reflect at the end of the day what am i going to do differently tomorrow and you get back on the wagon so to speak the wellness basics like before we started recording we were talking more kind of about the physical environment and things like that so that's one thing maybe that that we haven't covered 
um, in relation to the basics. For me, the basics of, of well-being, I suppose, if I thought about getting the basics right, is understanding what the specific issues are within an organization. So if someone is offering things like, you know, if it's, if it's yoga or if, like, I'm trying to think back to the kinds of things that we would have had. We would have had dental hygienists come in, we would have had yoga, um, we would have had mindful eating and things like that. So it was all very nice, but maybe the, the work culture itself wasn't really, I was about to say, it wasn't really toxic, but it's the opposite of that. It wasn't really conducive to that kind of thing. So for me, I think they needed to look at the culture in the first instance and have a look at, well, what what's going on here with the culture? And it was kind of like a culture of fear. And I've been listening to a few other podcasts recently and stuff like that comes up and trust and fear and, and that sort of stuff. I think you need to have those things grounded and in place and, and having the right people in the right teams, in the right roles, with the right managers before you even think about doing anything else. For me, there that's kind of taking a step back and having a look at um, and interestingly, that reminds me of the, of the research that I did for my master's, and it's all about having people's needs satisfied. So are your needs being satisfied at work? And if they're not, then you need to, you need to rectify that and make sure people's needs are being satisfied. Mm-hmm. Which implies you need to understand what people's needs are, which is interesting. Yeah. I'm interested to actually read yeah, or hear yeah. about your other thing. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, and everyone has these three basic universal needs, which is autonomy, relatedness, and competence. People also have unique needs, but I suppose it's equipping managers to be able to have those conversations and equipping people to understand what their own needs are in a way that's that's kind of not very formal, that they can really understand themselves. Because I know if someone said to me, what are your needs? I'd be like, well, I don't know. But it's understanding like basically what pisses you off at work and what makes you feel really good. So for me, it's a process of really understanding and reflecting on yourself. So I like recognition. I like to be recognized for things that I've done well, that I've contributed to. That's like mm. fundamental to, to my needs being satisfied. And, if, and I suppose if you think if you see other people being recognized for things that you feel you're doing equally well, then that's, that's my needs are not being satisfied in that scenario. So I think, yeah, because autonomy related, relatedness, recognition. Like I remember when we spoke before and like the relatedness in my mind was what we're, we've been looking at as, as human connection. Yeah. Uh, the recognition you, you can definitely link to wellbeing in the conversation with Miami today, it was about like kind of saying thank you and saying that guys, you're still included. Um, and, and I found that really interesting because it is so much overlap and I think wellbeing autonomy is probably more about feeling like you're the master of your own destiny and, and have even like you have a choice and you're not being micromanaged you're not being told what to do but you're given you're being given sufficient guidance as to what is expected of you but then you're let kind of to go and decide for yourself how you're going to execute or how you're going to actually carry out your role because mm. that's interesting and about setting a plan as well because we, we talked before about creating a culture and i've made a note about reflection as well but if, if we think about this this idea of how do you actually create a culture um, I've come across like an eight step model whereby you, you, you establish a sense of urgency at the beginning. Like, why does this matter? It matters because people need to feel well in order to work well. It matters because it's the right thing to do. So if you establish a sense of urgency among the people who can help shape the solution, then that's a big first step. 
Um, and then there's a lot of steps in between about creating a guiding coalition and a group in, in between who can like develop the change plan. But it's, it's about creating it together. Someone has to lead it. And then ultimately ending up at point eight, which is incorporating the changes into the culture. So it becomes the company, it becomes the business, it's, it's in your blood, rather than feeling like something on the side, which is someone trying to push the agenda where no one else is listening. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, if I hear what you're saying, it's really about culture is, it's really hard to articulate, it's really hard to define. But to me, it's, it's all to do with people's values. And if the values ultimately come from the founder of the organization and they, they may change and evolve over time as new people join the organization, but then it's about holding people accountable to that's, that is what we do around here and recognize them for it or give them some sort of, um, you know, recognize them in the way that, that they feel valued. Um, you know, different people will have different needs around that. Uh, but then going back to your nipping in, in the bud, when, when people do stuff that's not aligned with the values and really calling that out and saying, that's, that's not okay to do that here. Um, but having the strength, I suppose, to be able to do that. Yeah, big time. I think because when you say there's a few points that come off of things that I say, I have the same <laughs> thing when you say stuff. But um, I think sticking along the, the culture side, because there's obviously a lot more to talk about. Um, I listened to a really interesting comment by, I think, the founder of, uh, I want to say, Social Chain, um, who at the beginning of, of creating a business really set a clear culture in place and was very clear on what he wanted that to be. And it, and it was stuff like if someone stole someone's pen, um, and then they complained about it. Like, don't write a post-it and complain about it. That's not what our culture is about. Yeah, because yeah, that yeah. person probably taken that pen to go away and do some work for the business, which we're all a part of. So um, I think, yeah, for me, the culture is very much like you said about the values, the ideas, and, and the behaviors that ultimately happen as a result of, of the environment that you're in. Yeah. Um, so if, if that's a well if it's a culture where well-being is valued, incredible. If it's mm. not, that's not so incredible. Um, I'm conscious as well. We didn't come back on your point about physical environment, but maybe we're, we're trying to cram a lot in. So <laughs> we still need to talk about reflection as well. Yeah, no, the, well, the physical environment really, I suppose, I mean, a huge challenge at the start of lockdown where people were working from home. They were working from, the stories I've heard of people working from their bedrooms, people working um, in shared accommodation and things like that as well, finding it quite difficult to manage that trying to carve out a place where you can actually do work. Um, and my own experience, and I, I shared this before we, we started recording, Chris, is I'm in a, in a flat. It's not big. I don't have a separate office. So you can see kind of in the background what's going on here. Um, it's, it's not a big office. Or sorry, I don't have an office. But what I think I would really like is a separate space to really call my office and to, to have all of my things around. Um, but I don't have that. And there's a lot of people who, while they're working from home, they don't have easy access to everything. Now, for me, I'm, gonna, I'm going through the process of digitizing everything. So everything's accessible on my laptop and that's fine. Um, but for other people, they just need to have easy access to stuff, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It reminded me of a story actually. Going, this is going right back to April and uh, how one person had their laptop and phone on the table um, in their kind of living room, their new living room, they were living back with parents again. So okay. they didn't have anymore. 
And every time they looked at the phone or they looked at the computer, they always, their habit was to, to check their emails and then reply to a couple of emails because they're, half their team was in the US and that was a useful thing to do but where you are consistently checking your work um, you don't really get a break so I think the physical environment um, moving that phone and laptop into a different room putting it in a bag shutting it down uh, yeah while you were talking about boundaries earlier yeah it's not not having it in a place where it's visible after you've switched off from work and that I'm terribly guilty from that and you'll know yourself what you were saying about like you know when 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 do you actually finish work when you run your own business? Um, and yeah, like I, it's, it's hard to know when to actually switch off because there's, there's always stuff to be done. And, and I saw this, um, or heard something the other day, which was super interesting. And it was, oh, I tell you, it was, um, now what's his name? Is it Daniel Berkman who writes for The Guardian? I'll put, the, no I'll, put, I'll put a link to the article in the show notes because I, I liked it so much. And he basically, he wrote things in, in a way that I've never read them before and explained them in such a way that it's different to how I've, like, it wasn't, the concepts that he shared weren't new, but the way he explained it was completely new to me, at least. And he said something about, you'll always be busy. There'll always be more to do. And it's about choosing what not to do. And I have mm. heard that before, but wh- however he explained it, I just thought, yeah, yeah, no, I t- he explained it in such a way that like, and it's so true. There always will be something to do. There will be always be something to occupy your time and you need to actively choose what not to do. That's really cool, actually. I'll track that down. There's about two thoughts I just share as well. One is that um, someone once told me anyone can be busy and that stuck with me. You, anyone can be busy you can be busy on the wrong stuff though which is the as a team like recently last week we actually wrote for the first time a not to do list yeah um we've, we've, we're, we're busy like we've been really really busy um but it's a question of uh, are we being effective so uh, for the first time as a group we each wrote our not to do this week list and it was really productive and we're going to do it again definitely yeah. that's a that's a super idea that is such and i have heard it before but i've not implemented it yet and I think I will. I think I'll do that today. Uh, right on my what's on my not to do. So make sure that you don't get distracted by doing this, this, and this, which you really don't need to do. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I'll take your recommendations to check out this uh, Guardian character as well. So thanks. Yeah, yeah. Well, it was it was his last article for the Guardian ever. So I guess he writes on Saturday for wow. the Guardian. Um, I hope I've got the name right, but I'll put the link in the show notes. I'll send you a link um, separately as well anyway, Chris. Put this in my personal personal interest reading bucket because it's not on my to-do list. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So something that we haven't really uh, touched on, we we spoke about at the start, but we kind of veered in a nice, lovely roundabout way back to leadership buy-in and how to get leadership buy-in. So it's about getting the, the basics right first and getting that leadership buy-in or maybe you know is that chicken and egg do we need leadership buy-in first before we can get the basics right it's a good uh, that's a good observation actually it's um probably is a little bit chicken and egg isn't it you're not going to get leadership buy-in unless you've um you've got the basics right and they can see that it works but then you're not going to get the basics right if leadership don't really want to be a part of it so I think uh, I will hedge my bets on that one and say, yeah, you need both. But you also need somewhere to start, don't you? Yeah, yeah. Uh, this idea, like, I, I always have a tendency of coming back to an analogy of there's an individual, like, what would you do if you wanted to be healthy and well? 
And I think if you're an individual looking to form a new habit, are you relating this to creating a new culture? Then you would start small. Like what's the smallest, smallest thing that I can do right now? Yeah. And then what's half of that? And then, okay, I'll try and do that for the next couple of days. Mm -hmm. And then once I've done that, I maybe failed once. I'll forgive myself if I did go to a good effort, but I'll be honest with myself and also just get back on the wagon. So the same way if I wanted to create a, a habit of, of eating a piece of fruit each day, and I was currently only eating like two sporadically Monday to Friday, I, I, I might start really, really small and say, okay, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, I'm going to set an alarm to trigger that behavior. And I'm going to buy fruit and put it in the fridge at the start of the week, even though I said, I'm not sure if it needs to be in the fridge. And then once you then get that three days in a row, you've got something to build off. And I suppose it's the same thing. If I relate that to the conversation we had earlier, um, a, di a different one, you know, actually a tech company, they've not really got massive leadership buy-in with this. Um, but there's a kind of sentiment that it could be useful and it does fit within the culture. And so what they asked for was actually just an example of what this could look like, because if we did it to start with, make sure it's really easy to implement. And then if you gather questions, like answers to questions along the way, the benefit of doing everything virtually now is it's so easy to gather quick feedback. Mm. Um, then you know what impact it's had. So I think, yeah, your chicken and egg thing is definitely on the money and it's, and it's but you have to start somewhere. Yeah. I think if you start small, you're giving yourself a good shot at cementing that as either a habit, if you're thinking about individual and fruit or whatever that is, and as a company, similar kind of thing. So if you've never done well-being before, what would one session look like? What would three sessions look like? Yeah. If we're doing well-being really well at the moment, um, how can you make it even better? You know? How do you take it to the next level? Yeah. Um, no, I, I loved what you said about the habits and starting small. I can totally relate to that as someone who previously would have just taken these giant leaps and then that's fine for a few months even, and then just yeah. like fall off the, the wagon or whatever. Um, and I've read so many ha books on habits as well. And it's, it is so interesting, this whole idea of starting small. But the other thing that struck me about what you said is about taking personal responsibility. So it's up to the, each individual to take responsibility for themselves and to own their own wellness and to manage their own time or to, to manage their own boundaries around saying no to work or managing their clients or managing their boss, all of those kinds of things. It's really up to each individual to, you know, to, to implement those kinds of things themselves. So while the company can present all of these different options, it's up to each individual to take on, uh, take on the, the suggestions or whatever. Yeah, literally exactly like if you're going to do something long term you have to want to do it short of forcing people to comply like if you want something to do some if you want someone to do something they have to want to do it yeah um so yeah i, I say present the present the choice um and and take responsibility for yourself in that choice whether that's because you want to role model and you think that as a leader that's a good thing for you to do or whether you don't actually have a team you just you just want to take responsibility for your own health and well-being i think that this idea to close on like ultimate responsibility, 100% for your own life, for your own happiness, for your own work life mm. is a pretty powerful one to conclude on. Because I think if it, I had taken myself as an example, like there's loads of stuff I've not taken full responsibility for. And you like, you complain and you think, oh, this shouldn't have happened this way or someone else didn't do what they said they were going to do. Like, that's my fault. Like if someone didn't do what they said and I'm annoyed about it, like I'm, I'm in charge of how I feel about that. And maybe there's something I could have done to change it. So um, I don't know if we're going to end on a more powerful note than taking ultimate responsibility. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So Chris, the question I ask everyone who comes on the podcast, what makes you happier at work? 
Yeah, okay, maybe there is something bigger to end on. Um, what makes me happy at work is really people. Um, and I think whether it's relatedness or human connection, whatever phrase you want to use, it's very cliche. But um, if I think about the times where inner fit was really difficult, like, and I was not having a good time mental health wise or was just not motivated, it's when you like feel really on your own and like isolated and like things are not going like you wanted them to. Um, if I think about now what it's like to have a team and have a laugh on a Monday call and close up with a, a Friday call, like ultimately, and, and things like this, like it's cool to have a conversation, which is, which is work. Um, and it's, it's just people fundamentally. So how yeah, about I, you? I, well, I can totally relate. I can totally relate to that, Chris. And, you know, that's to me, that's what the future holds. Uh, it is something that I do miss is, is working with a team, working with people and, it's conversations like this and I have conversations with, with other entrepreneurs and stuff that is, you know, it's, it is that connection with other people and, and finding shared interests and having an impact, I suppose, and, and trying to change and influence what's going on at work, especially. Yeah. 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 If, if I was going to add a second part of that, it would be meaning, I guess. Like no, 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 go me. for it. <laughs> <laughs> As people is like the conversations and, and that's a big part of, happiness in life i think i did when setting up innerfit i did get quite geeky on it and actually researched like the longest ever longitudinal study into happiness showed that human relationships was the common thread um but also a lot more recently there's so much research pointing towards meaning and fulfillment and like mm. believing that what you do has an impact so i really i hope that um our conversation today has, has sparked a few ideas and, and at least at least someone out there is taking one positive action away with them because that's kind of what it's about. That's it, yeah, yeah. And like what I was going to say that I always share the podcast across social media. Um, if people want to get involved in the conversation, they can absolutely comment on the post or they can reach out to myself or yourself directly. Um, I will share my, my socials uh, at the end. But Chris, if people want to reach out, if they want to tag you, what's the best way to reach you? You can talk about your events, you can talk about your social media channels, all of that kind of stuff. Yeah, thanks, Aoife. So we've got, um, I'm Chris Pinner. If you want to track me down on LinkedIn, it's probably the best place, not a massive user of social media, though we are on it with Innerfit UK. And um, chris at innerfit.co.uk is the email address. You can find the website, innerfit.co.uk. Um, so I suppose, why, why would you want to do that? You might just want to have a chat about wellbeing. And, and your team and your organization. Um, and in terms of events, we hold a regular now monthly employee wellbeing forum, which is a bit of a gathering of, of, of people who like conversations like this, I suppose. We had over 100 registrants at the last one, and I'm very excited to say that you're, um, you'll be a panelist on a future one, so. I will, um, yeah, I'm looking forward to that. Now, the, the last one I went to was brilliant. I, I just, I took a lot from it. It was a really, really interesting conversation, so definitely worth checking out. Thanks a bunch. Thank you so much for having me on. I've really enjoyed it. Thanks. Yeah, I really enjoyed our conversation. Thanks so much, Chris. Absolute pleasure. That was Chris Pinner from Innerfit talking all about well-being at work. And we covered quite a few topics today. So I just wanted to round up um, the, some of the key points from that. So we, we started out talking about how to get leadership buy-in. And we, we kind of ended with the concept of whether leadership buy-in or getting the basics right was the first thing and it's kind of a chicken and egg situation. We spoke about the importance of leadership and 
especially when it comes to role modeling. So it's not just about investing in a leadership program and thinking that's the end of it. It's about role modeling the behaviors, talking the talk versus walking the walk and having real confidence in the well-being strategy that is being implemented. And the example he shared was that in a particular law firm where they invested quite a bit of money in the well-being strategy, but they didn't, or a lot of the, the senior partners weren't attending the well-being initiatives. I thought that was quite interesting because it's really important, you know, at, at that very senior level to really be seen to embody what you're trying to do as a business. We spoke about statistics versus stories. So he mentioned that 90% of CEOs are currently investing in employee well-being and therefore you would assume that well-being is something that's definitely worth investing in. So that's kind of a, an idea around using statistics. But there's also this idea around using stories and especially stories from your own workforce and most especially stories from senior leaders who can share their own personal experiences of investing in well-being and managing their own mental health. So the question that the Chris posed was, why do I believe in the value of well-being and why you should too? So it's about getting that message across. Another thing in relation to statistics specifically then is this idea of mental uh, well-being declined during lockdown. But it's also about using your own data within your own organization through pulse surveys and building a business case for why investing in well-being is really important. We also spoke about the four pillars of value and Chris's four pillars are talent, togetherness, tuned in and performing well. We spoke about how investing in a well-being program increases the bottom line. So it's not just for the well-being of your employees, it actually increases the bottom line as well. We spoke about a plug and play versus having a tailored approach. And, you know, it's not just about ticking a box and delivering a plug and play. It, you know, it really needs to be tailored for the specific needs of an organization. In Chris's words, a company well-being strategy can add value or it can cost a company if they don't implement one. We also spoke about things like setting clear boundaries um, using mindfulness and journaling and really taking personal responsibility for your own wellness journey. Are you making time or making space for your own well-being? He made a comment about anyone can be busy. It's such an important area. Anyone really can be busy but it's about choosing what not to do. What's on your not to do list? We also spoke about starting small. So what's the smallest thing that you can do today? And are you going to turn that into a habit? But also thinking about you have to start somewhere. And this also springs to mind is, you know, just start from wherever you are. Don't think about where you have to get to. Just start from where you are and take that first step. Even if you have something in place, think about how you can make it even better. I would love for you to get involved in the conversation. Um, I usually post about these podcasts across social media. So you will find me anywhere you search for happieratwork.ie and uh, you can search for me on LinkedIn as well. And I would love to hear your thoughts, your feedback and generally just get involved in the conversation, share your own experiences of implementing well-being within your own organizations. 
I hope you enjoyed this week's podcast. Tune in again at the same time next week where I have another fantastic guest sharing some wonderful insights. I'll chat to you then. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Happier at Work podcast. I'm delighted to have you here. If you enjoyed this podcast, I'd love if you could rate or review the podcast or share it with a friend. You'll find me on the website happieratwork.ie.